0: Om sahana vavatu sahana bhu bhunaktu sahaviryam karavavahain te The fourth verse Uvacha <speaking in the water> Param Tama dao श्री Shri Bhagavan Vacha, Bahu Nime
1: Vyati Tani,
0: Natvam Veta Parantapa Natvam
1: vetha parantapa.
0: Arjuna asked, the Lord, your birth is very recent and also in this human form. Whereas you claim that you imparted this knowledge to Vivaswan in the beginning of creation. The birth of Vivaswan was in the remote past. And he was, his embodiment was that of a devata or a God. So How should I understand that you impart the knowledge to Vyaswan? Just taking the position that Lord Krishna is a human being. Because that is how somebody else would ask this question. If Lord Krishna is a human being, then we know that. Human beings do not remember the past birth and therefore even if in some other embodiment that knowledge was imparted in the beginning of creation, in this embodiment he would not remember. And so, and if he imparted then he cannot be a human being. (coughs) So there seems to be an apparent contradiction in what Lord Krishna says to clarify Arjuna's question. So, Lord Krishna says that I am God. What is, I am Lord. I am omniscient, all knowing. So, meaning that even though while being in this apparently limited human body, I have all the powers of God who is omniscient, omnipotent. So, Lord Krishna says, I am all knowing. Bahunime <laughs> vyatitani. Janmani Tavacharjuna Here, Arjuna, I have gone through many births in the past, and so have you. What's the difference between the two of us? Tanya Veda Sarvani, I know them all. I know all the past births. Natvam Veda Parandapa, He Parandapa. Here, Arjuna, you do not know them. So, even though I look like a human being, like you. The difference is that you, the human being, who is a jiva or a limited being, does not have the remembrance of the past, your knowledge is obstructed. Because of your ignorance, because of a sense of individuality, because of the the ragadveshas, your knowledge is obstructed and therefore your knowledge is extremely limited. Whereas I am the one who is free from ignorance and therefore the sense of ego or individuality likes and dislikes so all these factors which obstruct the knowledge are totally absent and therefore I enjoy an obstructed knowledge and therefore I am omniscient I am (coughs) all-knowing. If you are all-knowing if you are a God then how can you be born? Because as we discussed in the morning birth can be only for an ignorant person. Even a wise person will not be born again. Because they said the birth is for a certain purpose. In the eighth chapter Lord Krishna will say that whatever be your last thought at the time of departing from this body that will determine your destiny. And the last thought or desire can be only for a person who is ignorant or incomplete, and therefore there is still desire to become complete, and that's why he takes next birth. But if a wise person who knows that I am complete being has no desire left, and therefore even wise person doesn't take any new birth. With the question of God taking birth, so if you, as you say, you're omniscient, then how do you explain your birth? Because birth can be only for a jiva, for a limited individual. So Lord Krishna says, You are right. You are right that there cannot be birth. And still there is birth. How that is so he is explained in the sixth verse. Ajopisannavyayatman. <laughs> bhūtānām īśvaro pisann prakṛtim svām adhiṣṭhāya sambhavāmyātmam āyayā in the first line lord krishna says what is ruling my nature ajōpisanna I am birthless. So God is birthless? Both ways, understand? God as Param Brahma, as consciousness that transcends all names and forms, of course, has no birth, no change. But Ishwara. What is who is Ishvara? Ishvara is Brahman, the same consciousness as manifesting through Maya the total, the total creative power. So, this is the concept of God. God is ultimate reality, Brahman. God is Ishvara here. Who is the creator? How does Brahman become creator, sustainer, dissolver? The the understanding of God that we are given is that God or Brahman transcends all the attributes. His beyond name, beyond form, He transcends names and forms, is free from every attribute. And therefore, Brahman or the transcendental reality cannot really be the creator, sustainer, dissolver in a primary sense because there is no change possible there at all. And still we see this creation sustenance, we see that. And therefore, we assign that to Brahman only. Therefore, we look upon Brahman as the creator, sustainer, dissolver. How does it happen? With what we call Maya, meaning that Maya or the creative power, the totality of all the creative power is called Maya, which creates an appearance of what is really not there. Word Maya means magic. And just as a magician, Creates an appearance of something which is not really there. The audience is under the spell of magic and therefore the magician creates all kinds of things. He may take, as we said, a piece of newspaper and, and, and show it as a hundred dollar bill which is not really there but then the, to the spectators it appears to be real. If a magician could really convert a piece of newspaper on a hundred dollar bill, he need not even give magic shows at all, because he can do that. He will become a millionaire in no time. But unfortunately at the end of the magic show, he goes out with his hat, you know, and then he, he, he seeks a donation. That shows that the hundred dollar bill that appeared to be in his hand was not real. It appeared to be real. What is not really there, which appears to be real, this is what magic does. And this is a model or the example taken to explain the creation also. That what is really there is nothing but Brahman, is nothing but consciousness of Brahman, one without a second. What is is God, what is is Brahman, which is one, non dual, limitless, changeless. So what we perceive is many, what we perceive is change, what we perceive is birth, death, everything. So how do you explain? How do you explain that Brahman inspired of being one? How do you, how do you perceive this manyness? Or we see the variety and then multiplicity. So it says, one appears as many, one, God, appears as this whole universe by his power creative power called maya just as a dreamer even though he is one appears as the whole dream world in the dream also we create our own private world of dream which is nothing but a projection because when we wake up then There are no dream objects, no dream people. So this is called maya, the creative power, which creates an appearance of what is not really there. However, the appearance is so effective, so vivid, that those who are under the spell of that maya, they think that it is real, it is tangible, it is concrete. Like sometimes, although there is a a play on the stage, sometimes the actors do such a good job, that it all appears to be real. While watching movies sometimes, you get so absorbed, you think, it really is going on there, and you feel the same emotions. So Lord Krishna says that, in reality, birth is not possible for me who is Brahman. Pisan, because I am birthless. Abhyayatma there is no wear, There is no decay. There is no exhaustion. There is no death. I have no birth. I am birthless. I am deathless. What is meant by birth? And what is meant by death? Death is when the subtle body departs from one physical body that is called death and this subtle body gets associated with another physical body that is called birth Lord Krishna says there is no birth there is no death for me the death can be there only for the one who is born and birth can be there for only one who dies if Lord does not die then there cannot be birth." Bhutanam Ishvarovisannam. Further, I am the Ishvara, I am the ruler, the great lord of all the beings. Meaning, I am the ruler and I am the one who rules with hello all the laws. So, all the laws are under my command. I am not commanded or controlled by the laws. Meaning that the law of karma is not, does not bind the lord. He is the one who commands with the help of the law of karma. and all the jivas are under, the, are under these, are under the influence of law, law of karma, and not Ishvara. Meaning that karma also cannot compel him to take birth. You see, you and I, even if we do not, we did not want to take birth. We had to take birth because when you perform the karma, then you have to experience the result of that. and therefore. You must be around when the result is fructifies, karma fructifies. So we have to take birth to experience the result of the actions performed in the past. Lord Krishna says, I don't have any doership, I don't have enjoyership, I have no kartrutvam, I have no bhaktrutvam, and therefore there is no karma to compel me. Not only that, but the current law of karma is I will the law of karma and I am not controlled by law of In short, in the first line of this sixth verse, Lord Krishna says that birth, really birth is not possible for me. Birth is possible for the one who is subject to being born, So I am not subject to being born. But birth is possible for the one who dies, I am not subject to death. Birth is possible for the one who is controlled by the law of karma. I'm not controlled by the law of karma. So all possible reasons that can bring about the birth, none of them is present in Lord Krishna. Lord, and therefore, birth is not possible. <coughs> then, how come we celebrate your birthday every year? This Krishna is in and therefore we celebrate Lord Krishna's birthday they must be celebrating those days also so there seems to be birth anyway you seem to be born so yes I seem to be born so second line explains the first line says how birth in the real sense is not possible but birth in a apparent sense is possible prakrutim Swamudishtaya Sambhavami. Atma maya. swam, swam prakriti adhishtaya, wielding my prakriti, wielding my maya. Prakriti can mean nature. Prakriti that can mean satchidana, but now, wielding my maya. Sambhavami, Samyghavami, I very well appear. Atma maya, by my maya. Meaning that, the embodiment that Lord Krishna has is not a product of these five elements. It is not a product of the flesh and bone. It is a product of what we call maya. Maya is said to be pure sattva, viśuddha sattva, which is the creative power. Whenever Lord Krishna says that I create an appropriate embodiment with the help of my Maya and that is how I appear to be born I appear to be doing things I appear to die also so they have recorded the death of Lord Krishna also they recorded the we don't know the date etc nobody celebrates death in India they always celebrate birth but anyway he did say he passed away so here Lord Krishna says that, what is the nature of his body? His body looks similar to anybody else's body. Maybe he was more beautiful and maybe no charming, etc. No doubt about that, but still. Lord Krishna says that, do not take my body to be an ordinary human body. This body is not the product of karma. Otherwise, the body that we have, is a product of karma and therefore I am what I am whatever be the characteristics of this body are all determined by the karma or the action that I performed in the past but that is not the case with the body of Lord Krishna that is not a product of karma because there is no bondage that body is made up of maya maya means magic meaning that It is not made up of five elements. It is not made up of the flesh and bones, etc. It is a creation of maya. Atma maya, it is by my maya that I created a body. (coughs) So, this avatar, this is how Lord Krishna explains the principle of incarnation, avatar. There is something called avatar incarnation. And Lord Krishna says, Why the incarnation is taken. In the next two verses, Lord Krishna will explain when and why. But we accept something called avatar incarnation that whenever the necessity arises, then Ishvara takes up an appropriate upadhyur embodiment and appears on this earth. <coughs> That embodiment is, is, doesn't have, is not made of these five elements, or not made of the ordinary, is not the modification of food, etc. It is a creation of Maya. So this is how the avatar is explained. What is Maya? Maya is, as I said, that which creates an appearance of that which is something not really there. <coughs> Some people believe you say that Lord Krishna cannot even have that kind of body. So they explain the verse by saying that it is not that Lord Krishna had a body made of maya but Lord Krishna appeared to have a body because of maya. If you can listen to the difference between the two. One uh, explanation is that the body of Lord Krishna is made of maya. Other explanation is that Maya creates an appearance of body for Lord Krishna. And that appearance is enough for Lord Krishna to perform the Vyavahara or perform all the activities, whichever way you take. But the way Shankarida explains is that Atma Maya, by Maya, Lord Krishna creates a body. Which with which? He performs all the vivahara, with which he interacts with the world. And does whatever is required to be done. Oh Lord, so when do you take the verse? When do you take this avatara? The next verse explains that. Yada yada hidharmasya. Granir Bhavati bharata abhyutha
1: there
0: is decline in dharma righteousness Bhavati. And there is also Abhyttan, the arising of or strengthening of Adharma or unrighteousness. So we discuss this dharma in the morning. As you said, one meaning of the word dharma is duty, or dharma is righteousness, or dharma is an action performed in keeping with the order or in keeping with the law. So any action that is performed in keeping with the obtaining harmony would be called dharma. An action that violates the obtaining harmony or order will be called adharma. So dharma can be translated as virtue, adharma can be translated as vice. dharma can be translated as a right action, adharma can be translated as a wrong action, Dharma can be translated as duty, Adharma can be translated as violating the duty. So we discuss in the morning how when different people making up a society, any particular setup, any setup which in fact consists of several people, that setup can work in harmony only when all the members comprising the setup perform their duty, they do what is expected of them or what is appropriate for them to do. And we say the concept of duty is that I consider myself responsible. I have an appreciation of the support that I am gaining from the setup. And therefore there is a sense of gratitude and with that i return the favor because when i am a part of a setup such as a family then i am the beneficiary of what the rest of the members of family do somebody cooks somebody shops somebody earns somebody cleans and i am the beneficiary of what rest of people do then it naturally becomes my duty to participate and give my share also Therefore, an action that is performed with a sense of gratitude that arises from the appreciation of the benefit that one is gaining from a setup and the action that I perform in the sense of gratitude as my contribution, as my participation. is called duty. And so if everybody participates in the spirit of their own contribution, which is on account of an appreciation of the benefits that they are receiving. And therefore, there is a sense of gratitude on account of the an appreciation. And out of gratitude, I participate. Not to oblige somebody, but in fact, out of gratitude, I participate. If there is this spirit of participation on the part of the various members making up a system or a setup, then the setup will run very smoothly. Because everybody participates, and therefore, everybody is the beneficiary of what everybody else does. So I am a contributor also, at the same time, I am the beneficiary of what others are doing. And therefore, as we say in the morning, in the process of everybody performing their duty, the rights of everybody also are automatically assured. Imagine the whole society functioning like that. This is the basic principle of administ management in any setup. This is called dharma. So when people participate in the spirit, then we could say that they are following their dharma, they are following the duty. In which case, there will be harmony. When there is harmony, there is prosperity, and thus both external as well as internal prosperity, and all the members making up that setup would be happy. In the society, therefore, there will be happiness and harmony when the principle of dharma or principle of duty or the principle of participation prevails. And we said also, in order for me to perform my duty or to participate, it does require me to make an offering. And therefore, I have to set aside my own comforts or conveniences often, my own ragatveshas also, and that is how following a life of dharma results into what we call an inner growth. Because when I participate, then I should look to the needs of the setup and not my needs. That being the case, I identify with the setup, giving the identification of my ego, I identify with a larger setup. So if you are a part of an organization then, if you identify the organization then, you set aside your own ragadveshās and adopt the ragadveshās of that for which you work. This helps me to slowly grow out of my ego or my limited ragadveshās or this narrow-mindedness and makes me a person with, who is more accommodative, and therefore, living a life of dharma automatically brings about a slow but sure freedom from our own likes and dislikes and brings about an internal purity. So that is this, that is what distinguished Arjuna from Duryodhana. How come Lord Krishna imparted this teaching to Arjuna rather than Duryodhana? Because Arjuna lived a life of dharma, and therefore he enjoyed that purity of the heart. So thus dharma brings about first what we call an inner growth or a spiritual growth and in turn also brings about the material growth. So when material prosperity is outcome of the spiritual prosperity then that material prosperity becomes a blessing. If material prosperity is At the cost of spiritual prosperity, then it does not become a blessing. It can become in fact a curse. So this is how the Vedas prescribe what we call dharma, as the basic principle of living life. Because of which there would be harmony. In the society, harmony everywhere. That's why it did not require what you call the, uh, the old age homes and all kinds of stuff. Because they be home to care of the people, you know, in an extended family, there are people who are not always uh, equally uh, strong or equally uh, creative or productive. They are taken care of. The old people are automatically taken care of because the 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 the, 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 the children look upon it, that you look upon it as a duty to take care of them. This, there is this, I'm duty bound, they say, you know, it means that there's a bondage of duty. And if that is performed with a proper spirit, then as we said, it brings about a growth in inner maturity. So dharma thus becomes a vehicle for assuring the spiritual growth of an individual and thereby assuring him a real happiness. Therefore, when Lord created this world, He also created the principle of dharma, which is what we call the order. Then He created the prajapati, He created the lords of the beings, who will assure that dharma is practiced. That's why they said again, the king were kshatriyas, whose job it was to follow the dharma, at the same time implement the dharma also. As long as this is going on, Lord can be sleeping, you know, as Lord Narayana is shown, always sleeping. In the milky ocean, in his serpent bed, he's always in the yoga nidra, he's always sleeping. He does not need to do anything. Everything takes care of itself. Sometimes then, there is a monkey wrench in the whole setup. So, sakale neha mahata the time has the effect of always creating a disorder. This is what the time does. Disorder rather has a tendency always to grow. And therefore, it is necessary to keep such things in order, otherwise disorder will automatically happen. If you don't put things in order, then you will find in course of time things something is here, something is that that's how it happens. Another thing is that when there is prosperity in society, then artha kama, the comfort and pleasure, become more important to people, and dharma, the righteousness, which requires a certain self-control and a personal discipline, that you that often gets compromised. Is that we see worldwide, as the prosperity is increasing, how people become more and more indulgent with less and less discipline. And thus, more and more licentious sometimes. Because, when comfort is there, then, your capacity to suffer the pain, or hardship also goes down, you become more and more delicate. And somebody just now says, Swami, oh boy, that day I had to take bath, he had to pour some, just one pot of cold water. How am I going to do that? A whole life I've always taken a bath with warm water. How can I do that? Become so delicate that I cannot even pour one part of cold water on my head because I'll catch cold. I can't stand that. So comfort makes a person slowly delicate. And slowly the capacity to suffer the hardship which duty or dharma always calls for, that capacity goes down. And never, slowly and slowly the dharma gets compromised. When it's very comfortable, there is nice heat nice air conditioning, when I'm sleeping and the alarm rings at five o'clock in the morning and it's just... You know, bed is too comfortable. And who wants to give up that bed? I shut up the alarm, I wake up rather... I get up at seven o'clock. That is how yada yada hai dharmasya jnanihi bhavati Slowly dharma, the righteousness, which requires discipline, requires self-control, which requires a willingness to put up with hardships, which requires me to let go of my personal likes and dislikes, which requires me to give greater importance to the needs of others. This spirit slowly declines because people become more and more delicate. More and more comfort loving. And therefore, dharma or the discipline declines. And a dharma or indiscipline or violation is always waiting. Dharma also can mean living a life of values. That is also dharma. Being non violent, being non hurting, being truthful, being honest. And it is not easy to follow the values unless as we said again, we are willing to uh, put up with hardships. So the values slowly start getting compromised. And we can see everywhere how dishonesty is showing up. I mean at a very, very high level, and every different level also we can see. Nowadays how people's dishonesty is slowly coming up, it must be there. Now we are becoming aware of it, but at, at the highest level. Because now it is greed, it is anger, it is lust, these forces start becoming powerful. When righteousness becomes weak, then when honesty becomes weak, then greed starts becoming stronger. When self-discipline becomes weak, then anger starts becoming stronger. Again self-control becomes weak, then my tender indulge becomes stronger. So kāma, the tendency to indulge, krodha, anger, lobha, greed, slowly these tendencies start becoming stronger. That's called when adharma becomes strong. Not only adharma becomes strong, but adharma starts reigning, adharma starts ruling. yadā yadāhi dharmasya gnāni bhavati When dharma the righteousness declines, Abhyutthanam, adharma se, adharma, Arun righteousness becomes strong and powerful, such that dharma is no more effective, and adharma rules a the society, then the society is sure to perish. We do not require anybody else, we do not even require any atom bombs to destroy us. Adharma is enough to destroy us. Because Adharma creates all kinds of conflict. When, then, these forces of kama, krodha, lova, lust, greed, anger, when they dominate my mind, then what is in my mind also will show up in my behavior as well. Therefore, I act out of anger. Now, whenever I express anger, is going to create conflict. Whenever I act out of greed, I am going to hurt somebody. And thus, because, people are imperiled by this forces of karma, krodha, loba. they start hurting others and they get hurt in the process and therefore the relationship which are formerly harmonious relationship, they start relationship when each one hurts the other. And all of this we experience in our day to day life, in our own home we experience, in our friendship we experience, in the society we experience, in the… everywhere we experience. But we cannot control this kama, krodha, loba, then we know what happens. abhyutthanam adharmasya. Adharma, oh this, this negative tendency, the demoniac tendency become so strong. So Ravana represents the demoniac tendencies or a kamsa represents those tendencies. So in our stories in Purana, we find that Lord had to take incarnation when someone like Ravana, a demon, become so powerful that he was winning the three worlds. Here in Nikashivu become so powerful. Here these demons become so powerful. They were ruling the world. In fact, here in Nikashivu declared that there is no God. You worship me. Don't say, Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāya, say that. He, he in fact compelled his people to do that. Where is your God? Show me. So when Avyutta and Adharmasya, Tada Atmanam Sridamyam. Then Lord Krishna says that I assume an appropriate embodiment. The embodiment is appropriate for responding to a given situation. Therefore, we find that in different avatars, incarnations, Lord assumed different kinds of embodiments. He even became a fish, he became a tortoise. He became a boar. He became half lion and half man. He became a dwarf. He became all one by one, as was required. Abhyutta, tadatmanam sujamyam, then I create a body, create an embodiment, which is appropriate for responding to that situation. So when does avatar happen? When adharma becomes predominant. Our Swami says that, people ask sometimes, Swamiji, when is the next incarnation going to come? See, Indians have become so used to incarnations, <laughs> that they always want the inc- somebody to solve their problem. So they are all waiting for the next incarnation to happen, who will set everything right. But Swamiji, is such a thing there? You, why not? How can such a body be there? How can anybody create a body like that? If God can create the whole universe, can he not create one upadhi? Cannot, can he not create one embodiment required for that purpose? So, incarnation is accepted. Alright. Having taken incarnation, what do you do? The eighth verse tells us that. Paritranaya Sadhunam Vinashaya Dharma
1: thaya,
0: Yuge Yuge. So these two verses, seven and eight, are perhaps the most famous verses of Bhagavad Gita. Other famous verse is the verse from the second chapter. Karma Karaste Māphale So this is, these are the verses that you usually see being displayed. Either Karma Karaste or Yadā Dharmasya. What is, what is the purpose of your taking incarnation? O Lord, Paritrāṇāya Sadhunam, Sadhunam, Paritrāṇāya for protection of the good people. With sadhu, sadhu is a good person. sanmargastha the one who follows the righteous path is called a sadhu. Typically, the word sadhu is used for a sannyas in India. He say it. But here, the word sadhu really is used in the sense that it means sadhu is a good person. A person who is a righteous person, the person who follows the path of dharma or righteousness. In fact, the word sadhu is explained like this, parakāryam sadhnodhi idi sadhu. The one who accomplishes somebody else's need, parakāryam sadhnodhi. So one who helps somebody else to accomplish his purpose is called a sadhu. So sadhus or good people are always... People having an attitude of serving, Paropakara. Paropakara means helping others. Because this Paropakara or helping others is shown to be the very order in the universe. That everything always helps others. That is how the spirit or the order is in the universe. So there is a verse in Sanskrit which says Paropakara hai, vahanti nadya the rivers flow for the sake of serving others. Paro surya hai The sun shines for serving others. Paro Phalandi Bruksha, vruksha The trees bear fruits for helping others, serving others. Duhanti Gavaha Cows also give milk for serving others. So wherever we look in the nature, Everywhere the spirit of parvapakāra or spirit of helping others is prevalent, except for the human being. Only because, as we say, everything else is designed such that automatically they serve others. As we said, our body also is so designed that every limb or every organ of the body serves the whole body and serves others. And in fact, we ourselves are the recipient of what the rest of the world does to serve us. The whole world is serving us. And ideally, therefore, we should also continue that spirit of serving others. Then alone, we can be in harmony with the world. So, you can say dharma, also, can we say a righteous action? Can we say it to be an action? that is performed in the spirit of serving others. So there are these good people. There are these sadhus. There are the people who follow the path of righteousness, who generally function in the spirit of serving others. When can you do that? When you enjoy doing it. When you enjoy doing that, then there is no problem. So sadhus are those who enjoy reaching out to others, who enjoy serving others. As long as such people are there, so long there is no problem. Even if some people are there, if not everybody is a sadhu, if there is a reasonably good number of people in the society where sadhutvam or the spirit of serving others, spirit of reaching out is there, so long the society will function. But a time comes when the sadhus are not able to function the forces of adharma unrighteousness become so powerful that they deliberately obstruct the functioning of the sadhus. As we see in Ramayana, that sage Vishwamitra comes to the court of King Dasharatha and requests Dasharatha, please, let your older son Rama, please send him with me. I need him. Why do you need him? My son is only hardly sixteen. Why do you need him? Says, well, I need him to guard the uh, sacrificial ceremonies that we are performing. What's the problem? The problem is that these demons, all these messengers of Ravana, these demons, come, and while we are performing these ceremonies like we were performing yesterday, they come and throw bones, you know, in the fire, that means the whole thing is polluted, the whole thing is gone. The sanctity must be maintained, those fellows deliberately throw some bones. You know how sometimes conversion took place in India? These fellows will pollute the well, you know, the whole village is drinking water from the well. They will throw some wine or some something in there, you know, pollute the whole village is taken more the classic this is what you have done you are no more Hindus now you know you get converted something whatever anyway apart from that but as I said this is the story that we hear that in those days these demons would deliberately come and obstruct the performance of any any virtuous action they just will not allow any virtuous action to be to be done because when you perform the fire rituals like we did yesterday. As you could see there, the mantras are chanted and offerings are made. Offerings are made to devatas, offerings are made to gods. That is how gods get their food, really. Where will gods get their food? From us. That is the reason why one of the duties that the human beings were required to perform is every day perform these fire rituals. And make offerings to gods, so that gods get their food, they get their nourishment, they get their strength. If the gods are strong, then demons cannot overpower them. But the trick, you know, the method that these demons employ is, they will not allow these sacrificial ceremonies to be performed. And therefore the gods, the Devatas who are deprived of their, of their offerings, And thus, day by day, the fellows become weaker and weaker. And then you can overpower them, and you know, you can drive them away from heavens, and that's how these Rakshasas would take hold of heavens and earth and the whole world. These are stories. When that happens, then, because he is only married to a dharma, Ravana will not allow anybody to follow dharma. And as he said, if dharma vanishes, the whole universe will vanish. Because adharma creates such conflict that ultimately, you know, that conflict will destroy the society. Paritranaya sadhunam. Therefore, Lord Krishna says that the purpose of incarnation is sadhunam paritranaya paridhatranaya to very well protect these good people, these sadhus. Or, these people who are on the path of dharma, the path of righteousness, the path of serving others, protect them. Because how do you protect dharma? Dharma is always centered upon one who performs dharma. Therefore, dharma can be protected by protecting people who practice dharma. Because dharma is not a tangible entity. Dharma is the spirit behind the action that I perform. Therefore to protect Dharma, what is needed is to protect the people who follow Dharma. So Lord Krishna says, paritraya sadhunam, for protecting the sadhus, for protecting those who follow the righteous path. vinashach duskrutam, and there are those called the wicked people. That person is called wicked, who deliberately hurts others. A wicked person is one who gets pleasure out of somebody else's misery. There are, there, are, there are some people who get joy out of giving joy to others. There are some people who are very exalted people, whose happiness comes by making others happy there are middling people who are more self-centered and their happiness comes by making themselves happy without regard to somebody else's happiness. And there are these most miserable category of people whose happiness comes from making others unhappy. So that is called Duskrat, that is called a wicked person. And therefore, these wicked fellows will enjoy torturing others, harassing others, that is where their joy comes from. They have become so uh, degenerated in their spirit. As I said, the evil, in fact, is so strong in them, the tamas has become so strong in them, that their joy comes by making other people miserable. Let's go the wicked people. Vināsāya for protecting the righteous people and for destroying the wicked. Because wickedness, again, abides in the wicked people. Therefore, the only way to eliminate adharma is to eliminate ultimately people who follow adharma. So that sounds very cruel, Swamiji. God is cruel. Even He kills people. So, what he said, no, this is not cruelty. If you listen to the stories in Purana, when Lord Krishna kills a demon, it is not called killing a demon. You know how they will describe? They will say, releasing this fellow. So it is not Putana Vada, it is not killing of Putana, the demoness. But then, it is putana uddhara, it is in fact lifting up putana. The idea is that, even in killing, apparently killing those people also, it is lifting up, them up, and helping them, in their onward spiritual journey. There is a verse which says, that, lalane taadane matuhu, na karunyam yathar bhakke, just as a mother, Sometimes might, uh, generally, the mother in fact, loves, shows love to the child, sometimes punishes the child also, is it not so? She should, if necessary, I'm not saying they should punish, but if necessary. If the mother thinks that punishing is in the well-being of the child, understand? Not out of her anger or something like that, but the mother feels that the child needs, you know, to be restrained, then shows restraint also. So when a mother out of love or for concern for the child suppose appears to be punishing the child it is not really cruelty of the mother it is still kindness of the mother because sometimes the kindness requires you to be apparently cruel also. Not cruel. As I said in every relationship there is going to be nigraha and ugraha that you you give the freedom as well as you show the restraint in every relationship. If anybody wants to administer any system, you will do that. You cannot let everybody do what they want. You cannot always restrain everybody from what they want also. Like a charioteer allows the horses to run, as long as they are conducting themselves, all right. But when the charioteer finds that the horses are running too fast, or that they are being deviated from the road, then he restrains them also. And if the horses are still running away and refuse to be restrained, then he has a whip, he can punish them also. No punishing, but then, for bringing in the right path. Therefore, this action of a Rama, Lord Rama, destroying a Ravana is not looked upon as an act of cruelty. It is in fact meant for releasing this Ravana from the miserable life that is living and to help him to ultimately proceed on the path of his own spiritual growth. <clears throat> so, paritranaya sadhanam vinashaya for protecting sadhu, the righteous people, or for destroying the wicked. Again, this destroying the wicked such as Duryodhana. All understand that all attempts were made to convert Duryodhana. So, Lord Krishna Himself went to the court of Duryodhana as a mediator, as a messenger of peace, to mediate between the Pandavas and Kauravas. And He made very lucrative offers to Duryodhana also. Actually the condition was, when Pandavas returned from their thirteen years of exile, then. Duryodhana was required to give them half the kingdom which belonged to them rightfully. When Pandavas actually came back Duryodhana refused to part with the kingdom. So Lord Krishna you know reasoned with him. Says now you yourself you know, why don't you do that? You are such a huge kingdom why don't you give half which, you know there are five so they'll divide among them he says, no way. Alright give them five villages, okay? So that at least each one has one village. No? Give them one village with five houses, okay? No? Give them one house with five rooms. He says, no? Pandavas cannot have the earth or soil equal to the tip of a pin. They will have to get it from me. They will not, you know, they will have to actually win it from me. They will not get it. Meaning that he made it impossible for the Pandavas to avoid the war. But anyway, in short, efforts are always made to reason. For example, Ravana also. If you read Ramayana, Ramcharitmanas of Saint Tulsidasi, there were nineteen attempts made to reason with his Ravana. Nineteen times, different people made attempts to reason with Ravana to explain to him why he should return the Sita, return Sita and avoid this conflict which is going to bring about his destruction. But he refused. Vinashakale viparita Buddhi, It is said that when the end is imminent the person thinks all wrongly. But anyway, there is called a wicked person who cannot think right. And so a time comes when the only way to destroy the wickedness is to destroy the wicked. So understand that this principle of non-violence always calls for protection of righteousness. Therefore, an active resistance against evil is not against non-violence. Non-violence does not mean that you just fold your hand and let anything happen as it is happening because then it will be violence because the whole society will be destroyed. Just as a surgeon must Perform an invasive surgery upon one part of the body to save the rest of the body. You have to amputate also one part to save the rest of the body. Which is nothing but violating that part of the body, but that is required. Otherwise, if you do not, if the invasiveness is not there, then the whole body will... Then a greater himsa will take place. Therefore, sometimes, this amount of himsa or violence, apparently, becomes necessary to protect the rest of the society. Paritrāṇāya sādhu because sometimes it may appear as that this is a violent society. Your gods are violent. No. They say this also becomes necessary to protect the rest of the society. The diseased part sometimes has to be removed in order to protect the rest of the body. Paritrāṇāya vinasa vināsāya jaduśkṛtāṁ, dharma-sumsthāpanātāya, for establishing dharma, sambhavāmi yuge-yuge, as and when required, I appear, as Lord Krishna says, we'll continue our discussion tomorrow. <speaking in Hebrew> Om Pūrṇamada Pūrṇamidam Pūrṇāt purnasya purna madaya purnameva va shishyade om SHANTI shante shankaram shankara keshavam vadarayanam sutra bhashya krutovande bhagavanta punah punah ishvaro gurur atme Murti भेद da vi व्याप्तने हाया viat de hai, lakshina, murtaye namaha, om shri